Back in 1985, a guy by the name of Will Postman, Neil Postman, Will Postman, Neil Postman wrote um, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Um, if you've not read that book, I know 1985 seems like forever ago. <laughs> I graduated from high school in 1985, so just, you know, be careful with that. But anyway, um, his son is now a college professor, and he uses his dad's book to teach, and it's still very appropriate, even with news and the different way things are done now. Um, but, but there's a line, there's a phrase in, that he coined, um, the medium is the message. Right? We think there's a, me a message and then there's a medium, a way to get it out. But he, he says, invariably, the way you share the message will shape the message. And he talked about, for instance, when um, the first televised presidential debate, um, Nixon says he lost the debate because his makeup wasn't as good. <laughs> right? Lincoln never had to complain about that, uh, <laughs> right? He's never on television. Um, but he talked about this little phrase, um, and this is going back to when, I know this is, do you remember when to watch the news you had to wait? In, in, in the Eastern time zone, six o'clock. It was the six o'clock news, folks. I know it's like... It was shocking to me when I moved to the central time zone and realized there was such a thing as the five o'clock news. It's like, what are these people doing? <laughs> they get their news an hour earlier. How does that work? Right, no, it's, it's um, but he talks about this little, this little line that's the transition from one news piece to the next, and it's and next, or and now, right? Or as Monty Python said it, and now for something completely different, right? Um, but he talks about what that does to our brains and what that does to our emotions, that you're watching someone on the news, and in all seriousness, he talks about, let's say, an earthquake on the other side of the world where hundreds of people die. And then he says, and now, and then he shares something that's not tragic at all, that's happy, right? And then he says, and now, and um, the weatherman comes on, and he talks about the weather. And then, and now, sports, right? And, and, and you go from one thing that should be a calamity and sad and difficult right into something that's like a feel-good piece, right into sports, which depending on where you are is sad or happy. And, you know, and, and then what's going to happen with the weather? And there should be, like, there is no pause where the news anchor would say, Cronkite would never say, you know, that was really bad news. Let's pause for 30 seconds and think about it. No, you can't. You've got to just move on to the next thing. And, he, and, and Postman talked about what that does to us on an emotional level. It just kind of flattens us out. And, and he could have n never foreseen Twitter, right? He could have never foreseen 24-hour news where, like, I can open up a web page and I can see links to 100 different news stories of every variety, right? Um, and just it's all of my choosing, right? If I want to ignore the bad news, I can kind of ignore it and, and click on something better. Um, and, you know, they talk about the 24-hour news cycle. News gets old very quickly. Um, I, I told you I was, I was having coffee with Gia Bakhtadze, and he was talking about the war in Ukraine and how in Georgia they were, they, they're still very, very concerned, 
you know, and everybody in the world thought that was going to be over in a week, and the Ukrainians have just been very resilient, and they've received all this help. Uh, but George has been very, very worried because Russia has not been good to them over the decades. And um, they were all just wondering, are we next? Are we next? And um, I had to look at Gia and say, you know, Gia, you're the, first time, you're the first person I've heard mention Ukraine in a couple of weeks. Right? Do you remember what big news that was? Right? Now, oh yeah, that's still happening. And he just looked at me like, I said, sorry, we Americans have short attention spans. We, we, you don't expect us to pay attention for a few months, do you? Come on. Um, but we kind of have this what's next, what's next, what's next. And um, we, we kind of go through life like we get to something. Okay, what do I do next? Um, and there's, there's got to be this balance, right? Because um, you could also just get stuck. That's not good either, right? So there's got to be this sweet spot. Um, and I, I remember just speaking in terms of church. I remember when I was on a break from college and I'd gone home to Tennessee and I'd gone out on uh, Monday night visitation back in the day when Monday night visitation was a thing. And, um, I'd gone out with the pastor, Pastor Bruce. And I remember, um, I remember they had just done, um, the experiencing God study. Remember experiencing God, really, really good stuff. And he had just taken a group of people through that. And he was, I remember just, just, the sadness in his voice as he told me that, like the moment it was done, like the very last session, everybody looked at him and said, that was really good. What are we doing next? And he was just so sad about that. It was like, take a breath, apply it. Oh, that would be revolutionary, right? Apply it. Um, Maybe we could just meet for a month and talk about what this has looked like in your life to join God and what he's doing, right? The whole thing. Um, and he was just like, everybody just wants to know, what are we studying next? What are we studying next, right? And um, again, it's better than being stuck. I don't know. But today, I'm, I'm, we're in Psalm 51 again. And the title of my sermon, and I'm not a big sermon title guy, but, but the title of my sermon is After Forgiveness. There's... There's something that does come next. Something comes next. But I don't want that to make forgiveness seem any, any less amazing, right? I don't want this to be like we were in 2 Samuel where, where David commits this horrible, awful set of sins and con- brought to brokenness and conviction and confesses, I've sinned against the Lord by Nathan the prophet's story. And then we came to Psalm 51, which is the resulting psalm last week, where he's just, he, he's doing a couple of things. He's, he's very specifically naming his sin. Remember all the different words he used. He used the word transgression, transgression, iniquity, sin, evil. He's calling it everything. And he says, um, and I don't just sin because I'm, I'm, you know, it's not just these bad decisions. It's, it's, it's inside of me and it's just always been there. But then he uses also the different words for forgiveness, um, blot it out, um, wash it away, cleanse me. Um, and it all is him casting himself, have mercy on me, O oh God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. So, so he's just, he's not saying, God, meet me halfway. He's not, he, he's simply saying, God, I have nothing but your mercy right now. 
right? Um, I have nothing but your compassion. I have nothing but that you love me in this moment. So I don't want us to just rush on from that and go, what's next? But there is something that's next. That's not the end of the psalm. There's, there's a lot of this psalm left. We got this week and next week left. Um, we, we don't want to just like get conviction and confession over with. Like, okay, God, I said, okay, what? Yeah, right. It's not that, but we don't want to get stuck in conviction and guilt. And then we want to have experience forgiveness. But then we want to go with what's next. And then what's next? Um, we start in verse 7 today. Um, with another request for God's cleansing. Second time he's used the, the idea of cleansing. It's, there's, it's as if he has been, been defiled. He says in verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Um, cleanse me with hyssop. I'm going to guess nobody's prayed that. This week, right, um, Hyssop was an interesting thing. You know this from Exodus 12 when um, the, the death angel's coming through at the Passover, right? You, you kill the lamb and it says you take a bunch of hyssop and you dip it in the blood in the basin and you put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the doorframe. And, um, and then there are other places in the Old Testament where hyssop is used with, with water. And, and it's just, it's like hyssop is just the means for the cleansing, the means for the spreading around of, of the cleansing. Um, it's cleansing. He's picturing a, something God is ceremonially doing, but it's God with the hyssop, right? And, and maybe God with a priest involved. And this is very ceremonial looking, but he, he sees his sin as a stain, as a stain on his life. But, but the point of the verse really is that if God cleans you, you're clean. I mean, look what it says. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Like, God, if you're cleaning me, I'm clean. Right? Um, look, look, that's the wording. Cleanse me and I will be clean. And what's the whitest, most pure thing he can think of? The cleanest thing he can think of is snow falling and landing on the earth. And it doesn't have like tracks in it from... The kid's going out and running in it yet. It's just, it's just laying there. It's soft. It's beautiful. It's just it's the whitest thing you can imagine. The sun shining off of it and it just reflecting. And I want to be that white, um, whiter than snow. Um, I I was thinking there, there's an old hymn. Does anybody remember the old hymn? Whiter than snow. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. I had this memory this week of communion. Um, I may have told this story before. I was working at Sears and I was sharing the gospel with my co-workers and this one co-worker in particular, I invited him to church on a Sunday night. Um, but I didn't know the schedule and we went and I was used to sitting right up front. So I took this guy who did not know anything about Baptist church and we sat like on the second row together right in the middle. I wasn't very sensitive then and so probably still am not. But anyway, we sat there and I saw the communion stuff and I was like, oh no. Communion night. I loved communion, but you don't bring an unbelieving guest on communion night. This is strange. We eat bread, we drink. What, what in the world? What have I done, Lord? What have I done? And, um, and there was communion, and then, you know, communion service is generally more abbreviated, and everybody goes out to eat after and, and all that stuff. And, but here we were having communion, and I brought my lost friend, and, 
And I, I will never forget this, is that um, at the end of communion, we sang the hymn, Whiter Than Snow, Whiter Than Snow. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And I remember, you know, in this Baptist church, even on communion night, you had to have an invitation during that song, right? And, and we sang whiter than snow. And, um, and there were these people coming forward just crying over communion and over asking God to wash them whiter than snow. And they were down and praying with the pastor. And um, I just remember glancing over at my friend and he just had these big tears welling up in his eyes. Maybe communion, that's not so bad after all, right? And we, he and I went out afterwards, and he was just sitting very quietly, and he was, he said, that was really moving. I've never, I've never seen people go up and, like, cry and pray with a pastor before, right? He was, he was very moved by the whole experience. But the idea that, that sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow, if sin is crimson and he washes you with blood, how does red and red equal white? It's a miracle, right? It's a miracle. But there's something next. There's the what next, and that's what we're getting to. Um, in 8, 9, 10, 11, and then down to verse 12. Let's just count and, and, and then go over what it is he asked for after the cleansing Starting verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquity. He kind of returns back to that. And then he says, verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Renew a right spirit. Is anybody singing the song now? Yes, that's what I, I thought. Some of you are singing it now. So he asked for joy and gladness. As a matter of fact, he asked for it three times. Let me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have crushed rejoice. Restore toward to me the joy of my salvation. He asked for a pure heart. He asked for a steadfast spirit. And he asked that he not be cast from his presence and that spirit not be taken from him. Okay, that's going to be interesting, right? So is, this, is, this is so important to, to consider for just a moment, okay? The goal is never just, just, I'm using the word just, um, the cleansing from sin, the forgiveness, the relief of guilt. That's not the goal. Um, the goal isn't just to get us like back to neutral, to get us back to zero, like wipe out the negative, get me to zero, and I'll take it from here. It's, the, the goal is joy, right? The goal is joy. Um, my whole being will exclaim, who is like you, O Lord? That, that, that line in Psalm 35, if you're reading it in a different translation, it says, all my bones shall say, who is like you, O Lord? Um, all my bones. He says, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Like, God, in my conviction, in the conviction of my guilt, you, you squished me. You crushed me. My bones were crushed. But I'm asking you, Lord, that those crushed bones would experience joy again. I want to hear joy. I want to hear gladness. That's part of the goal. Not just, okay, forgive me, and we'll start over. It's, no, I want, I want all the way back to gladness. 
And then there's this line, hide your face from my sins um, and blot out all my iniquity, which is just the idea of God hiding his face. Um, Because like in Jeremiah, the prophet says, my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. So like in Jeremiah's day, people were like, well, God doesn't see. He's busy. And he says, no, I see. My face is not hidden. My eyes see. And so David is like, just don't, not just don't hold me accountable. Just like if my sin is here, just, just hide your face from it. I don't, I don't want your countenance. I want the joy of your face to be on me and not my sin. And then he asked for a second thing, verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, a clean heart. Which, which sounds the same as forgiveness, which sounds the same as washing away of sin. But I think it's, it's a step after that. Um, because in the Bible, your heart, like sometimes you, your heart is where you feel and sometimes your heart is where you think. Um, I like to think, like when, when the Proverbs say, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Like if your water, if your life is producing water, the heart's the spring where it comes from. I like to think of the heart as like your life's air traffic control, right? Everything is running through your heart one way or another. And so he's saying, I want my heart to be pure, and then I want to have a steadfast spirit. Or maybe your Bible translation says a resolute spirit, a reliable inner being. So, so in Psalm 24, when he asks the question, who can abide in your presence? Who can ascend your holy hill? The very first thing he says, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. So God, I want my heart to be completely pure for you. I don't want any other idols in my heart. And then I want you to renew. So this is an interesting word as if to say, I had this once and I need it again. I need a reliable, steadfast, watchful, resolute spirit. I want to, I want to have that back. And it's just an interesting thought this week as I was pondering this because I wonder if, and we'll come even in verse 11, but even just thinking about up to this point, if David had been walking in the joy of the Lord, if David had been walking and living with a pure heart, if David had been resolute, I just kind of wonder, would we be talking about this? Right? Like, would he have been at war? Would he have walked out on the balcony? Would he have lingered in his look over Bathsheba? Right? Like, we, talked, we went through that and we saw there were just any number of moments where David could have said, stop, where he could have been resolute, where he could have been steadfast, and he wasn't. And he's like, God, if you've studied the life of David, he was resolute and steadfast year after year after year after year. And then it's like, what happened to David? And he's like, God, I want to get back to where I'm resolute again. And then this line, um, and I asked earlier, are you cleaning, singing the song, Create in me a clean heart, O God? 
Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. And um, I remember singing that in church one time and somebody walking in with me afterwards. We got to change that song. I'm like, it's a psalm. <laughs> yeah, but God's not going to take his spirit away from us. Well, yeah, okay, well, let's figure out what that means. I mean, it's a psalm. I'm not stuck on it. It's a psalm. Let me change that. We can, let's just figure it out, how about, right? And um, <laughs> I don't like that. God's not going to take his spirit. Okay, okay, but what's, what's David, David getting at here? And, and this is um, one of the very, very few times when the word your is put in front of the Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit. Like, it's very, very personal here. Uh, do not cast me away from before you. Do not take your spirit from me. Um, now, we'll come back to the permanence for us. But I, I just have to believe that David is thinking about, well, David is not thinking about 1 Samuel 16, verses 13 and 14, because those didn't exist. <laughs> You know what I mean? The scene we have in 1 Samuel 16, 13, and 14 um, is Saul has blown it over and over again as king. David had been anointed as king and then had to wait for a long time to actually be king. And when it became obvious that the Lord was not with Saul anymore, and David was going to be the king. It says, Samuel the prophet took the horn full of olive oil and anointed him, David, in the presence of his brothers. And it says, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day onward. The spirit of the, like, David has been called to an incredibly important task, an incredibly important minister as, as, as shepherd of God's nation, king of God's people, and he will not, cannot do this without the Holy Spirit's empowerment and help. It says the Spirit rushed upon David. I like that. Like the Spirit just couldn't be held back. Let me in on this. But then the next verse says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had turned away from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now you can, David was there. So, what is he doing? He's associating his role as God's shepherd king, the need for the spirit to fulfill that role. And if the spirit leaves, something really bad might take its place. So Lord, don't take your spirit away. I need, I'm, I'm, he's still king at this point. I need your spirit to do this work. I don't want to do this without you. And I do not want something worse. Lord, so be with me. Be with me, be with me. Give me what I need. The, the, the verse in Isaiah 63, yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their enemy. Like, God, I don't want you working against me. I need you working for me. I need you working with me. And then verse 12, he returns back to the idea, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Again, back to joy. God, restore joy. I had joy. Restore that joy of your salvation, the joy of you saving me. And then lastly, grant me a willing spirit. Renew a right spirit. Let me again experience the joy of deliverance. 
And, and this is the New English translation. Let me again experience the joy of your deliverance and sustain me by giving me the desire to obey. So get me to a place, grant in me a spirit, a heart, if you will, that just willingly obeys. A willing spirit. Make me willing. Give me desire to obey you. I need the want to, right? So that's it. What comes after forgiveness, right? The cleansing is there. The blood of Jesus is there. But we want joy. We want gladness. We want to rejoice. We want a pure heart. We want a steadfast, resolute spirit. We want the joy of our salvation, and we want a willing, desirous spirit that will sustain us, the willingness to obey. Now, let's just finish this up. It's easy. Listen, I know it's easy. It's easy to get stuck. Um, to, 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 to stop, to not seek joy, as a matter of fact, it's easy to just get stuck in guilt. It's easy to get stuck in shame. I know that. I know that. I, I, I've lived that. I do live that at times. Right. It's easy to stop and, and feel as if I will never be worthy again to serve the Lord. I will never be worthy of the empowering of his spirit. Right? It's easy to get stuck. And I've, I... Goodness, if I had a nickel for every time someone had said to me, um, well, I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. And that just steals joy, right? And when people say that, in my most gentle moments, in my most gentle moments, I say, hey, rejoice and be glad, because if God has forgiven you, then you are truly forgiven, no matter what you tell yourself. If the holiest person in the universe can forgive you, then you're forgiven. If the holiest person in the universe can blot out, cleanse, wash away your sin, if the holiest person in the universe can, can look you in the face and not look at your sin, then, then be amazed, be in awe. If he is for you, not even you can be against you, if you will. In my less gentle moments, I might say, you know, the Bible really doesn't say anything about you forgiving yourself, so stop acting like God. But that's my less gentle moments. <laughs> right. Um, but, but when that's experienced, it's just so good to just pause for a minute. Like in Isaiah 1, what a beautiful, Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let us reason together. Like God saying, can we stop and talk? Let's think this over. Let us settle the matter. Like, let's, let's just come to a place of, of thinking this over and settling this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are, though they are red as crimson, they shall be white as wool. So I'm just like, let's rejoice in that. Let's pause a moment and be amazed. That's, isn't that a beautiful thing about communion where God just says, hey, I'm going to give you something, you're going to do it a lot, and you're just going to pause and think about the blood of Jesus. Just pause there for a moment. But then you, you go, what's after that? You, you begin to pray for your own heart. You begin to pray for joy. Nothing, nothing will steal it like, like 
even when we come out of having confessed, um, we still just kind of have this lingering sense of, well, he'll forgive me, but... And he's like, no, I want you to be, be glad. Let's, let's, let's have joy. Um, and I would just, I would stop there and, and just say this. There is, there's a verse in 1 Corinthians that I, that I tell myself, it's right at the end of 1 Corinthians 1, where he says, we won't flip, but he, it's like my job description, which is beautiful. I have the best job description ever. Paul says, we do not lord it over your faith. Like, we're not here to say, your faith, your faith, your faith, get it together, believe this. We're not here to boss around your faith. He says, we not, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Do you hear Paul's job description? Oh, we're just here to help you have joy. <laughs> now that is a job description. What do you do for a living? I help people be happy. <laughs> That's not bad. Um, usually I say something like I translate and interpret ancient documents for contemporary society. That's my fancy job. That's my fancy job description. <laughs> What's that mean? I help people be joyful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we pray for joy. We pray for a clean heart because blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Like if God is holy and pure, he gives us a pure heart, we see him. Even in Acts 15, where they're all coming together and they're asking this whole Gentile question, um, and, and Peter says, hey, listen, I went to the Gentiles, the Spirit came. He did not discriminate between them and us. He purified their hearts. He gave them a clean heart. And then we pray for resilience. We pray for watchfulness. We, we think about the disciples when Jesus said, hey, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And what they do, they fell asleep. Um, just, just pray for, for watchfulness. And that was, that's what he says out there when he's, ta- when he's talking to Timothy. He's like, be on the lookout. And sometimes you're going to have to run. You're going to have to flee youthful lust, right? But, but at least you're watching and you're seeing it coming. And then it's like this willing heart of desire. Um, where, where Paul says in uh, Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to desire and do according to his good pleasure. Like, God will give you desire. Like, you're, I don't want to. Okay, well, let him help you want to. Like, just give me a, a heart that just wants to obey. So joy and a pure heart and watchfulness and resilience and just resolute determination and then just this willingness. And then lastly, this, this spirit empowerment for serving God. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Like The Spirit is a seal. He's not coming and going, oh, you blew it, I'm out of here. Um, you're sealed. But the Spirit is for fruitfulness. The Spirit is for empowerment to worship and to minister and to witness. Um, so let's, let's pray for those things. And, and let me just say this. Um, Don't get this backwards, right? Like, today you'll see people, whether it's athletes or pastors or whoever it is, and they just, they blow it. They sin in some just grievous way and and everybody knows and they confess. But it's like the first thing on their mind is, 
Well, I don't want to lose my position. Right? I don't want to lose this place I've got. And it's like, well, you know what? Maybe you need to for a while. But that doesn't mean the Spirit's gone. That doesn't mean he will never empower you to... Right? I'm just saying, let's sit on forgiveness and confession and being washed. Let's sit on that for a little bit. And let's not skip over it because of what we're afraid to lose. Right? It's washing first, joy second. (laughs) Right? Let's get that in order. Paul said, blessed are those whose sins are forgiven, whose sin the Lord does not count to get them. That's where the blessing is. And then the joy and the gladness and the pure heart and the steadfastness, right? Because if you're anything like me, you're just, you just kind of want to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. Okay, God, let's get back in the ball game here. Right? And just, okay, let's just pick up where we left off. And he's like, you want to go back and do that Holy Confession thing again? Let's talk about that for a moment, right? And then we'll move forward. Um, But we get them in the right order, right? Um, But then I look at verse 13, and it starts with the word then. So there's another thing that happens after forgiveness. And we can do a couple of things here. I can preach for another 40 minutes and not preach next week. Or we'll just wait till next week and we'll do verse 13. Oh my goodness, this next passage is so good. Um, but let's pray about this one, okay? Let me pray for us now. Will you join me and let me, let me pray for us? Lord, um, God, I have no doubt there are people in this room who just have um, struggled with feeling forgiven. And God, I realize that feeling forgiven doesn't make you forgiven, but feeling joy and gladness is a big, big deal. And so God, I pray God for my brothers and sisters in this room who, um, who struggle with guilt, who struggle with shame, who struggle with just continuing to, to carry it. I pray um, that they, w- they would leave here today um, just hearing you say, let's settle the matter. Let's, let's reason together over this and, and that you would reason with us and you would settle it with us and that we would know. Um, the priest has offered the sacrifice once for all, all time, for all people. And uh, we're not bigger than you, so who in the world do we think we are? Um, let's pray for my, my brothers and sisters who, who maybe have a more sensitive conscience or just maybe think it's too big or too much. Um, may they just leave here rejoicing in grace, rejoicing in mercy, rejoicing in the cleansing of sin. And God, may we be a people of joy. May we be a people of, of clean hearts. Um, for, for those in the room uh, who, who maybe just don't feel as resolved as they once did, would you, would you get us all back to just a place of resilience and watchfulness and just being on the lookout? Um, Lord, you've, you've given us your spirit, and, and God, as we're going to see in this text next week, there's a lot to be done in the power of your spirit, but, but may we just be convinced of your presence. Lord, I, just, I ask that for the joy of my brothers and sisters in this room, for their joy in Christ. Um, just renew the right spirit. Empower them to worship, to love you, and to have the fruit, and to serve. Lord, just bring us to all this.
What a gracious and merciful and generous God you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, y'all. Have a great Sunday. I'll see you next week at the right time. Don't be late.